So we were, uh, hey, it's good to see everybody. Wow, good. Y'all came for the food. I know why y'all are in this room. Uh, we were, uh, uh, yesterday, my, uh, my wife Edie and I were uh, talking, and, and uh, uh, I don't really know what we were talking about. I don't know how many of y'all play Wordle. Y'all know what Wordle is? Wordle's a little word game where you have uh, six chances to, um, to guess a five-letter word. And when you, uh, in the first, the first guess, the first five-letter word you guess is pretty important because that's what sets the stage for everything else. And uh, for most of us, you have particular five-letter words that you'll use, like chose or uh, uh, boast or boats or treat or trees or something like that. So a five-letter word. And I, I don't know if we were talking about this or not talking about it, but Edie says to me, and by the way, husbands, if you ever do public speaking, you know that you need permission to share a story like this before you share it. And even if you don't think you need it, you do. Okay. So I, I, Edie, and I, Edie looked at me and she said, you know, I'm afraid to use a different first word. She, she, she gets anxious and afraid for using a different first word. Now, the reason that happens is because you get comfortable with that first word. That first word has all the letters that you're looking for uh, to kind of set the stage for the rest of the, uh, uh, of the puzzle. And, uh, and yet, it seems a little bit of an overstatement sometimes. I, I, I'm afraid to use a different first word. Hey, but we all face something like that. You know, we all have certain things that fill us with anxiety and fear. And some of them are just like the first word that we would use in a wordle puzzle. It, it's something that seems benign, but really it, it does cause us great fear. I was uh, in a meeting Thursday night, and uh, before that meeting, Claude Parent, our church administrator, gave me a call. And, and, uh, and, and so when we were at the meeting, I was saying, and there was no reason for me to feel this way, but whenever I saw on Thursday, Claude calling me, and I told, I told this people in the meeting, I said, that filled me with anxiety and fear. And it's not because Claude is, uh, Claude is the, the greatest friend I've had in forever, but, but the reason I felt, felt fear is because I was thinking to myself, is there something wrong? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You, you get that call. Now, some of y'all become very adept at ignoring uh, phone calls from people you don't know. If they're not in my contacts, I'm not answering. And I'm not ugly about it. And, and some of y'all maybe perhaps have tried to call me and I didn't answer. Well, your name is not in my contact list. And if I don't know you, I'm not answering. Why? Because I don't need any more insurance. Right and and so, but sometimes you get those calls and uh, it, it you just see the call and it, is there something wrong? My mother texted uh, uh, myself and Edie and my brothers and their wives and and she texted us and before I even looked at the text, I turned to Edie um, and and I said, uh oh. It just you know what I'm talking about? It, is this bad news? We all have those seasons and settings that fill us with anxiety and fear. But there is a fear and an anxiety that runs much deeper than just bad news about a car that needs to be fixed. 
There is an anxiety and a fear that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. An anxiety and fear that uh, locks us in a cell of distress and hopelessness and joylessness and purposelessness. There is an anxiety that we can feel, not because something bad has, uh, is about to happen, but there's an anxiety we feel because we are separated from God. This is an anxiety that every human person has ever felt. Every single person that's ever lived has felt the anxiety of being distanced from God by sin. And over the last several weeks, what we've been talking about is how that God gives us good news to share with people who are racked with that sense of hopelessness and despair and anxiety and fear that they can't escape because they're stuck in a cycle of sin that has led to a brokenness in life and in their circumstance. And so what we're looking at and what we have been looking at, what I want us to really dig down into today because we're getting to the good part. All of it's good, but we're really getting to the good part. I want you to think about the person in your life who is far from God. Now, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, uh, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone that you go to class with, but there's someone in your life. Maybe, maybe it's someone down the street. Um, maybe it's a casual acquaintance that you have uh, with uh, uh, someplace where you do your business, buy your coffee or your groceries. But right now, think about that one person that you're uncertain their relationship with God. You are looking at them, or you're thinking about them, or maybe God has put them on your heart, and and, and you ask yourself, are are they broken over their sin? Do they have a life where they're searching and escape from the anxiety and the fear and the hopelessness of life because they're separated from God? That's the person that we're learning this for. We're learning over these last few weeks and the next couple of weeks, we're learning the ingredients of what we're supposed to share. We're talking about it called three circles. And in these three circles, you have three circles, four if you count the big one, but we call it three circles. So in the far left-hand top corner is God's design. What we learned there is that from the very beginning of time, Genesis 1, God made us In his image and likeness, he made us for uh, fellowship with himself. He created humanity to live in relationship with him, to live in in, in the perfect blessedness of his design. But we saw how sin, that's the first arrow at the top, how sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, but your life and mine as well. And we saw in Ephesians 2 how that we are dead in our sin and our trespass. And, and because you and I have sinned, by the way, uh, <clears throat> everyone has sinned. Let me ask the question this way. How many here in this room have sinned? I'm not even looking. I'm just waiting. <laughs> Who in this room has sinned? Everybody. Online, how many of you have sinned? Raise your hand. You've sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We all are guilty of violating the will and the purpose of God. You have, I have, they have. Everybody. And that sin leads to a brokenness. That sin, that's the second circle. A brokenness. That's 
It, you can't get more broken than dead. You can't get more broken than dead. We are dead in our sin and trespass. That means that we have no capacity for life. If the essence of life is fellowship with God, then the essence of death is separation from God. Romans, uh, Paul wrote in Romans, he said, the wages or the penalty for my sin is death. And that's not just true for people who believe in God or people who are Southern Baptist or Evangelical or R Roman Catholic or anything. That's true of every person of any culture at any time. The penalty for sin against a holy God is spiritual and physical death. So the people that you meet that are behaving like crazy, who are chasing all kinds of different avenues to try to make their life make sense, who even speak in such ways that you would think they hate God, please understand Behind all the bravado and all the statements and all the philosophies that they're talking about, at core, they are broken. And they're looking for something to fix the brokenness in their life. And there's only one thing, there's only one person who can fix the brokenness, and it is not them, and it's not me, and it's not you. When, when we are broken, we're looking for ways to fix what's broken. And, and that's what those squiggly lines are. You see those squiggly lines coming out of the circle of brokenness. Uh, we have all of these avenues that we pursue. Uh, it could be, and I got this from Gary Sanders, it could be philosophy. It could be uh, power. It could be prosperity. It could be pleasure. It could be all kinds of different things. The reason I picked those because they all start with a P. Easy to remember. For me, for me, when I was a teenager, I knew that I was broken. It was a big emptiness inside of me, and I was trying to find a way to fix what was broken, to fill that emptiness. So I was using the philosophy of religion, namely a Southern Baptist religion. And I believed that if I could do all the things that my Southern Baptist religion demanded, and it doesn't have to be Southern Baptist. It, it could be, it could be uh, 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 Presbyterian. Uh, it could be Evangelical Free. It could be Methodism. It could be any flavor you want. It doesn't even have to be Christian. It could be, it, it, it could be uh, 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 Baha'ism or something like that. It, it, the philosophy uh, is what we latch on to, and we say, if I can just fulfill all the ingredients of this philosophy, it's going to satisfy me. It's going to fix what's broken. For me, I was raised in a Baptist pastor's home. So uh, what I chose was I'm going to be the best Baptist person I could possibly be. And so I did everything that Baptists expected. That I, I read my Bible every day. I prayed every day. I went to church every time the doors were open. Of course, my dad was a pastor, so I, not much choice there. Uh, I was there uh, Monday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Monday night uh, visitation, Wednesday night uh, uh, event, and, and uh, uh, whatever else came their way. I was, uh, I, I gave my, I had a paper route. I made money, and I took 10% off the top and gave my tithe. That's what I did. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Except when you think any of those things are going to fix what's broken in your heart. 
And I did. That's what I was doing, man. I was trying to fix what was broken, to fill that empty spot. And there are people here who gather with us every week, and you're doing the same thing. You're respectable, you're moral, but you are far from God. You're still broken. The answer to our brokenness is not being progressive. The answer to our brokenness is not being a conservative. The answer to our brokenness is not being a better Baptist. The answer to our brokenness is only one thing. And apart from that one thing, we will remain broken forever and eternity. But I got good news for you. That there is someone who can fix the brokenness. And that's John chapter 3. Our text this morning, John chapter 3, and we're looking at the gospel. Now, all of this, all three circles, this, it's the gospel. But gospel literally means good news. What is the good news? Really, who is the good news? The good news is that God sent Jesus to rescue sinners like you and me. That God sent Jesus on a rescue mission out of his deep love for us to rescue us out of our brokenness, out of the deadness in our sin. Okay, so let's look at, at, at John chapter 3. In, in verses 1 through 7, we have an encounter between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he's broken. He is a religious uh, rule follower. He is a guy who is pursuing philosophy of religion to fix his brokenness, but he understands it's not working. He was um, a Pharisee, which means he was high, uh, a Pharisee of the Sanhedrin, which means he was a religious leader of the Jewish faith in, uh, in, in uh, uh, the Middle East of that day. He was one of 70 of the leading religious people in Jerusalem. He was a big deal. He was a religious fanatic, and he was broken on the inside. As many rules as he kept, he was broken. As many times as he went to the temple to pray, he was broken. As many times as he led the sacrificial system, he was broken. So he comes to Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, just stop right there. Uh, so what Nicodemus does, he says, he says, oh, you're great, Jesus. He calls him rabbi, which means teacher. It's a term of respect. And he says, Jesus, you're awesome. You're great. You do all these wonderful things. So we know that you come from God. But this same Nicodemus who's saying all this praise about Jesus also visited Jesus at night, probably because he didn't want anybody else or the religious leaders to see that he was talking to Jesus. But he said, Jesus, you're all this. And it was kind of probably a little bit of bravado. <clears throat> but Nicodemus was looking for an answer for the brokenness of his life. What, what I love is when Jesus responds, Jesus ignores all the rabbi year come from God. He ignores everything, and he gets to the heart of Nic Nicodemus' problem. He says, unless you are born again, you will not enter the, the, the kingdom of God unless there is a radical change in you. 
There is no way for you to be part of God's family. Now, what he said to Nicodemus is what he says to every person in all creation. Unless there is a radical change in you, there is no way you can be part of God's family. It's that radical change. Jesus said, born again or born from above. He's saying, this is something that you don't create. There is nothing in you or I that can create that radical change. Nothing. Zero. I've tried. I have tried. Nothing that you can do. You can't be religious enough. You can't be moral enough. You can't be good enough. There is nothing in you or in me that can create the radical change that needs to take place in us to make us fit for God's family. Our sin has done the damage, and we can't fix it. So when we're talking to that person that God has put on your heart, when we're talking to that person, we're talking with compassion as well as passion. See, we're not just giving one of many philosophies that we think can help them. We are saying you need a radical change. And if you don't get that radical change, you will never be in God's family. If you're never in God's family, you will never be satisfied in this life. And if you're never satisfied in this life, you will live in the fear and the anxiety that sin has put you in every single day. And Jesus said, yeah, and let, I, again, he just gets to the heart of the matter. He said, unless, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said, well, what, what in the world are you talking about? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, now, Nicodemus asked the right question. You think about it. Born again? What? Can I enter a second time in my mother's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? Verse 5, Jesus said, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you. You must be born again. He's saying, listen, to be born again is a radical change. It's where you are made brand new. All the old of you that was conquered by sin has been wiped away. And now you have, according to the prophet Ezekiel, now you have a new heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. You're born again. Now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. You've got to be made over completely. You don't need reformation. You don't need a good talking to. You don't need a new moral code of conduct. No, you need to be made new completely and totally. And that doesn't happen because of something you do. No person is ever made brand new because they behave a better way. No one. No one is ever made brand new because they walk into the doors of a building like this and sit in a seat and sit there for decades. No one is made brand new because you grab hold of the latest philosophies that uh, tickle the fancy of today's culture. No one is made brand new because you can recite certain creeds or confessions. No one is made brand new because you've been dunked in a tub or sprinkled as an infant. 
No one is made brand new by anything we do. The only way we can be made brand new is by God's grace working on us through the person of Jesus Christ. So, so get to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he applied his particular love upon sinners like you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave that term gave, ditto me, it points more than just um, uh, sending on a mission. That's verse 17. But it points to the fact that God gave Jesus, the unique one, monogenes, the unique one from God, the one-of-a-kind son. God gave Jesus as sacrifice, as payment price for sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the key to a radical uh, rescue that every person in all humanity needs. And it has nothing to do with what you or I do ourselves. It depends wholly upon Jesus Christ. See, if I were to sum up the gospel in one word, it would be Jesus. If, if I were to sum the gospel up in one word, it would be Jesus. I know, man, goodness gracious, we have a lot of religions out there, a lot of philosophies, a lot of ideas out there. But friends, we are a people created by Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus, dependent upon Christ Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is center to everything that we are. And without Jesus, we are lost. There is no life apart from Jesus because only Jesus can get us to God. When we're talking to people, we need to understand we're not talking about a church. We're not talking about wisdom from yesterday. We're not talking about the preacher or the preaching. We're not talking about songs or music. When we talk to people with the gospel, we're talking about Jesus Christ. That God in his particular love gave Jesus to rescue sinners like you and me. Good gracious. Do we understand? Can we comprehend the power of this one truth? And, and look, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people because a lot of people don't know Jesus. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense. You're saying that a person that was in history 2,000 plus years ago can... Change my life. Absolutely. And please know, it's foolishness. It is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to people who don't know Jesus, uh, whose eyes have not been opened by God's grace to give them the faith to believe on Jesus. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. But guys, I know because I've experienced and God's word tells me and the spirit of God confirms it that even though it might be foolishness to everybody else, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I'm not dependent upon my rhetoric to rescue somebody. Good gracious, I'm not that smart. I'm not dependent upon my good, uh, good works to rescue anybody. 
myself included. I'm not that good. I was going to do good looks, but doesn't even get on the scale of. But here's the thing. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus. So here's what I want us to do. When we see John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It's a very powerful statement, but we're going to kind of move past that. God initiated the rescue because he loved sinners like you and me. Just listen to that. God initiated rescue because he loves sinners like you and me. And that rescue meant that he had to give the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, his one and only unique son. To give as a sacrifice so that we might be rescued. All right? So we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, Now, this is the way I learned how to share the gospel because I believe it's important for us to talk about Jesus. Um, So what is it about Jesus that makes him so unique, the unique one? Well, first, Jesus is and always has been God. Please know that when... um, In John chapter 1 and in John chapter 3, when John uses monogenes, uh, in your translation probably only begotten, in other translations only or unique, when he uses that term, he's using it to describe Jesus as God. We hear this in John chapter 1 verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1, uh, where the guy who's writing this gospel, he's His name is John. So John's writing this gospel, and he's talking about Jesus, and he calls him the Word. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, being Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is and always has been God. We hear this wonderful picture of of Jesus as God in Colossians, where Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, uh, in chapter 1, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That means that Jesus is God. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to people, and he's saying, before Abraham, talking to religious leaders, he said, you want to know who I am? Before Abraham was, I am. That's a declaration that Jesus is God. John 3.13, Jesus said that that, uh, he descended from heaven, and he's ascending back to heaven. He said, I've come from God because I am God. Jesus did works that could only be described as God works. Uh, uh, Nicodemus uh, admitted that in verse 2. He said, you've done all these wonderful things that only God can do. And Jesus wanted Nicodemus to understand it wasn't because God was with him. It was because Jesus is God. And Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. Jesus literally, literally forgave sin because he is and always has been God. Now, this is different. This is a different concept. When we're talking about Jesus, we're not talking about a good guy. We're not talking about some moral leader. We're talking about God himself. Jesus is and always has been God. Not only that, Jesus, who is and always has been God, Jesus became a man. Jesus became a man. 
born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might uh, uh, redeem those who are under the law. That's Galatians chapter 4. Paul uh, describes Jesus as one who came and was born, literally, physically born, but born in a miraculous way. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's called the incarnation that God became flesh. That's John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, mononogenes, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is God, became a man. He was a literal human baby crying in a manger for milk. Jesus, who is God, became man, and that will blow your mind because fully God became fully man. And fully man didn't cease to be fully God. Jesus is God, always has been, even when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus became a man, different. And Jesus became a man. Even the language, John 1, 1, in the beginning was. That's, that, that's a, a linking verb, I mean. It means forever and consecutive. In John 1, 14, and the word became flesh. That's uh, genomai, a genito. Uh, and it means to become something, right? It, you weren't, and now you are, became. Jesus is and always has been God. Jesus became a man. All right. Why am I telling you this? Because this is stuff that you've got to have a passion and a conviction to share. Jesus became a man. Uh, Paul describes this, this, um, uh, uh, this mind-blowing reality that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Fully, fully man, fully God. And Paul describes it this way. He says in Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then, then he describes in theological terms what Jesus did. Uh, who, being in the form of God, did not, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he, um, but he made himself of no reputation, came in the likeness of a servant, and, and, and was found in appearance as a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Jesus, who is God, the form of God, didn't hold on to that, but let go the glory of his deity to be born in a manger in an obscure little village called Bethlehem, so that whoever believes on him might not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus has always been God. Jesus became a man. Fully God, fully man. So that Jesus might give his life to rescue sinners. So that Jesus might die on a cross for sinners like you and me so that he might give us life. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven and live. And Jesus came on a mission, a mission initiated by God's great love, and that mission led him to a cross where he would die for sinners like you and me so that we could be rescued. Jesus, who is perfect in every way, put himself in the place of punishment for sinners like you and me. 
The way that people who believe on Jesus shall not perish, the reason we don't have to perish is because Jesus perished on our behalf. He took the penalty, the punishment for sin upon himself. He stood in our place. Thank you, Lord. 2 Corinthians 5:21. For God made Jesus who knew no sin perfect to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him this great exchange of God's grace whereby Jesus took Eric Thomas's sin upon himself and he took the punishment that my sin demanded and he died and when I put my faith and trust in Jesus in this wondrous transaction, the, the death that I deserved, Jesus took upon himself, and the righteousness that he had, he placed on me so that now I am fit for God's family, but I can't talk about that because that's next week. I can't help myself. You've got to talk about it. Listen, the good news is that Jesus died for sinners like you and like me so that we might place our faith in him and be rescued. And that is the only way, the only way to enter into God's family. There's not a second way. There's not a third way. There's only one way. And that is Jesus. So when when the last part of John 3.16 says, whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life, Again, we'll talk about this next week, but that is key. It's not about believing Jesus was a good teacher or a moral person. That's what the demons believe. James 2.19, you say you believe there is God, you do well, the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to believe, oh, Jesus was. No, it is Jesus is the only way for my sin to be forgiven, for me to be made fit for God's family, for me to have life in all of its fullness, for me to escape death, spiritual and physical. The only way for me to experience life is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is my only hope. So when we're talking to people about um, how to enter into God's family, we, we're telling them about Jesus. Friends, you don't... I, Nothing wrong with talking about the church. Nothing wrong with talking about stuff in the church. All that. That's great. That's fine. But if you haven't told them that Jesus is the only way for their sin to be forgiven, and if they don't put their trust in Jesus, they will be empty for the rest of their days and for all eternity, then you haven't shared the gospel. We've got to tell them. You might say, well, they're not going to buy it. And then that's not up to us. The Spirit of God bears witness as we bear witness. And it's the Spirit of God that sparks in the heart the people, uh, in the heart of lost people to, to believe. It, it sparks in their heart the faith they need. Uh, the Spirit of God sparks in their heart the faith they need to believe on Jesus. Unless, unless the Spirit of God, this is verse 8, John 3, 8. It says, unless the Spirit of God does this work, it ain't going to happen. That's God's work. That's not our work. Our work is to tell people. Your life is broken, and the only hope you need, only only hope for a life made whole, is His name is Jesus. Let me tell you about Him. The reality is, if we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, 
we will be made whole. Right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I, I know next week we're talking about uh, repent and believe, and, and that really is, uh, that, that's the response that the Spirit of God awakens in us when we hear the gospel. It's not just some mustering up will, our will to do a certain thing or act a certain way. No, it's, it is the very work of God's Spirit to open our eyes to see that we are lost in our sin. It is the work of God's Spirit to spark in our heart the faith to trust that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven our sin through His death on the cross in our place, His resurrection from the dead to give us new life. It is the work of the Spirit to give us the courage to commit all that we are into the embrace of Jesus. So really what it comes down to is this. If you're here today and you have never, or you're uncertain whether you've ever entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, I beg you, please choose Christ today. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon uh, in the 1700s. He preached a sermon called The Excellencies of Christ. And in the in that message, minute after minute, moment after moment, hour probably after hour, Jonathan Edwards extolled the excellencies of Christ, his majesty, his holiness, his, his mercy, his compassion, his love, his truth, his, um, his, his one and only uniqueness. He talked about Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He talked about Jesus in his uh, role as high priest. He, he talked about Jesus, and, 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 and he talked about Jesus as the suffering servant who died for sinners on a cross. And at the end of his message, at the end of his sermon, Jonathan Edwards made this plea, not just once, but over and over and over again. He said, you see the excellence of Christ. Now I beg you today, choose Christ. Choose Christ. Today I beg you, if you're uncertain about your relationship with God, I beg you today, choose Christ. If you're uncertain about your eternal destiny, I beg you, please, today, choose Christ. If you long for the brokenness of your life to be made whole, I beg you today, choose Christ. Put your trust in Him. Turn away from your sin. Trust only in Jesus as your only hope. Choose Christ today. To choose Christ and to call upon Him. You know, Romans 10 says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord as Lord, will be rescued. You'll be saved. Now, what does that mean? It means that we talk to God about our own lostness. And we talk to God about Jesus. And we talk to God about the commitment that we make to Him. So today, if you long to be part of God's family, I beg you to choose Christ. In choosing Christ, you express that to God and perhaps something like this. 
Oh God, I admit that I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. I am broken because of my sin and I can't fix myself. But I believe. I believe that you gave Jesus, who is God. I believe that you gave Jesus, who became flesh and bone, a man. I believe that you gave Jesus to come and live and to die in my place and for my sin upon a cross. To be raised from the dead to give me new life. Today, I believe that Jesus is my only hope. He is my only rescue. And so I commit myself to Jesus. I give, I give Jesus all that I am. I confess that he is my Lord and I live committed to him as my rescuer and my king. If those words reflect the desire of your heart or those words reflect the prayer that you have prayed, I invite you today to let us help you on this journey as a follower of Christ. You can text Jesus to the number on the screen or email pastor at First Norfolk. You can come talk to one of the ministers here at the front here in a few moments or when we sing together, you can go to the next step station in the back and just say, help me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Help me. I've said those words. I I want to pray that prayer. I want to trust Jesus. He's my only hope. Help me. So now, Father, in these moments, knowing that the Holy Spirit blows where he will, and that salvation can only happen if if your Holy Spirit, even now, is awakening faith to believe in the hearts of those who are far from you and separated by their sin. So I pray today, O God, that you would do that work of rescuing and that in the hearts and in the minds and in the lives of those who are separated from you by their sin, I pray, O God, that you would show them Jesus in a saving way, that they would believe on Jesus in a saving way. I pray that dead hearts would be made new today. I pray for people to be born again today by your great grace. And now be glorified as we respond to you in these next few moments. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.